Hey, hey, English 11. How is everybody? Uh, welcome back. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you're doing well. I hope you're enjoying the book or at least not totally hating it. I'm not sure what I wish for you. It's 8.51 p.m. on Wednesday, May 6th. And we are picking up where we left off from last night. Last night was chapter four, part one. And we are going to discuss the second half. So we discussed all the way up until, um, we discussed all the, oh my gosh, we're about to get to such a good part. Okay. So we discussed all the way up until Meyer Wolfsheim exits the scene and we're at the 42nd street seller. And, you know, you should be asking yourself like, hmm, what kind of guy is Gatsby? That's a, that's a great question. You should be confused as to what type of guy he is. It is unclear. Fitzgerald, the author, of course, wants it to be unclear. That's why you're going to keep readings to figure out the mystery. So we don't know if he's actually this like amazing war veteran who saved the lives in World War One. Is he related to Himmler? Did he go to Oxford? Did he inherit all of his money? We don't know. We've heard from him. We've heard from other people. Wolfsheim seems to really, really like Jay Gatsby. But Wolfsheim is a very suspicious, guys. He um, seems to be a mobster of some kind. Um, in with, like, these mob guys who everybody knows. Um, he is the man who fixed the 1919 World Series, which seems like a very big deal and extremely illegal. So we're left here wondering, like, wait, what does Jay Gatsby, what, who is this guy? which is exactly how Fitzgerald wants to play it. So there's this one last moment before we go to the Jordan Baker scene, and I want to read it to you. So there, we're still at the 42nd Street cellar, which is like, um, you want to picture it like a, um, what, what am I trying to say? It's like a little lunch spot. I mean, they call it a cellar, but it's just like a bar in a basement. Um, it's a speakeasy. Okay, so... Um, Nick says in the middle of page 78, I insisted on paying the check. As the waiter brought my change, I caught, a, I caught sight of Tom Buchanan across the crowded room. Come along with me for a minute, I said. I've got to say hello to someone. When he saw us, Tom jumped up and took half a dozen steps in our direction. Where have you been? He demanded eagerly. Daisy's furious because you haven't called up. This is Mr. Gatsby, Mr. Buchanan. They shook hands briefly and a strained unfamiliar look of embarrassment came over Gatsby's face. How have you been anyhow? demanded Tom of me. How do you happen to come up this far to eat? I've been having lunch with Mr. Gatsby. I turned toward Gatsby, but he was no longer there. So then that's another mystery. Why does Gatsby have this look of embarrassment upon seeing Tom Buchanan in the restaurant? Okay, then we get what's called like a, a break here, right? There's like a space. And I want to make sure that you guys understand what's happening. It says, one October day in 1917, parentheses, said Jordan Baker that afternoon, sitting up very straight on a straight chair in the tea garden at the Plaza Hotel. I was walking along from one place to another, half on the sidewalks, half on the lawns. Okay, so this is really weird. All of a sudden, we have a person using the pronoun I, but that person is no longer Nick. And we don't have any quotation marks surrounding it. So I can understand how if you read this and you didn't really understand that 
he's kind of giving her the microphone for a while. This could be a little confusing. What I want you to understand is at this moment, we are now going to hear in first person this story about Jordan Baker. And Jordan Baker is telling this story to Nick Carraway in the Plaza Hotel lobby in the summer of 1922. So they met for lunch in real time after they had lunch with Gatsby. And she says to him, Nick, in the summer of 1917, this thing happened. And she proceeds to tell him this story. Fitzgerald has made the stylistic move to not put this in quotes, but rather to kind of, again, hand her the microphone for just a brief moment in the story. If that confuses you, I can understand. And it's just even more making me wish we were together at school. Okay. So she's going to tell us the story and it all starts in the year 1917. I don't want to read this whole thing out loud, but I'm going to read a lot of it out loud. Okay. So she says, remember, this is Jordan Baker talking. I was happier on the lawns because I had on shoes from England with rubber knobs on the soles that bit into the soft ground. I had on a new plaid skirt also that blew a little in the wind whenever this, and whenever this happened, the red, white, and blue banners in front of all the houses stretched out stiff and said, tut, tut, tut in a disapproving way. Okay. So then she says the largest of the banners and the largest of the lawns belong to Daisy Faye's house. Now this of course is the character that we now know as Daisy Buchanan, but Faye is her maiden name, meaning we are now going to meet Daisy Buchanan before she married Nick, oh, sorry, look, before she married Tom Buchanan. Okay. We're going to meet the single young Daisy Faye, but this is of course is the same character. Sorry, guys, sip of water. Okay. So remember, it's in the midst of a world war. So there's a lot of um, soldiers, right? Men in uniform. So she's dressed in white and it says, um, all day long, the telephone rang in her house and excited young officers from Camp Taylor demanded the privilege of monopolizing her that night. Anyways, for an hour. Um, so she basically says that Daisy is this very sought after young single woman, especially with the guys who are, for whatever reason, not overseas in the war. Okay. So then Jordan goes over and Jordan talks about how flattered she was that Daisy wanted to speak to her because Daisy was a girl that Jordan really admired. Okay. Um, so then she says, okay, so that was, that was 1917. Um, she says the, uh, she asked me if I was going to the red cross to make and make bandages. I was, well then would I tell them she couldn't come that day. The officer looked, Oh, so sorry. I, um, she's sitting on the porch. I'm, I'm reading this out of order. Let me back up. Forget what I just said. I want to go back a little bit. When I came opposite her that morning, her white roadster was beside the curb and she was sitting in it with a Lieutenant, that I had never seen before. They were so engrossed in each other that she didn't see me until I was five feet away. Hello, Jordan, she called unexpectedly. Please come here. I was flattered that she wanted to speak to me because of all the other girls I admired her the most. She asked me if I was going to the Red Cross and make bandages. I was. Well, then, would you tell them that she couldn't come that day? The officer looked at Daisy while she was speaking in a way that every young girl wants to be looked at sometime. And because it seemed romantic to me, I have remembered the incident ever since. His name was Jay Gatsby. 
and I didn't lay eyes on him again for over four years. Even after I'd met him on Long Island, I didn't realize it was the same man. Okay, pause. What does this mean? This means in the summer of 1917, Daisy Faye, now Daisy Buchanan, was dating and looking very in love with Jay Gatsby. Okay, process. Let's keep going. Um, okay. Uh, that was 1917. This is still Jordan talking. By the next year, I had a few bow myself, and I began playing in tournaments, so I didn't see Daisy very often. She went with a slightly older crowd, and when she went with, when she went with anyone at all. Wild rumors were circulating about her. How her mother had found her packing her bag one winter night to go to New York and say goodbye to a soldier who was going overseas. She was effectively prevented, but she would, wasn't on speaking terms with her family for several weeks. After that, she didn't play around with the soldiers anymore, but only with a few flat-footed, short-sighted young men in town who couldn't get into the army at all. Okay. So there's this rumor about her that she desperately wanted to go to New York to say goodbye to, to this army guy, who we're going to assume is Jay Gatsby, and her mom won't let her go. By, next, by the next autumn, she was gay again, gay as ever. She had a debut after the armistice, and in February, she was presumably engaged to the man from New Orleans. In June, she married Tom Buchanan of Chicago with more pomp and circumstance than Louisville ever knew before. He came down with a hundred people in four private cars and hired a whole floor at the Sealback Hotel. And the day before the wedding, he gave her a string of pearls valued at $350,000. Okay, so pause for a sec before we get to the next part. So Jordan tells us, okay, look, 1917, Daisy's in love with Jay Gatsby. Then Gatsby's got to go to war. Next thing Jordan knows, Daisy's getting married to a guy named Tom Buchanan. Okay, it happens. But the real twist comes next. Jordan says, I was a bridesmaid. I came into her room half an hour before the bridal dinner and found her lying on her bed as lovely as the June night in her flowered dress and as drunk as a monkey. She had a bottle of Sautern, I don't know that alcohol, in one hand and a letter in the other. Congratulate me, she muttered. Never had a drink before, but oh, how I do enjoy it. What's the matter, Daisy? I was scared. I can tell you, I'd never seen a girl like that before. Here, dearies, she groped around in the wastebasket she had with her. She groped around in a wastebasket she had with her on the bed pulled and pulled out the string of pearls. Take him downstairs and give him back to whoever say they belong to. Tell him Daisy's changed her mind. Say Daisy's changed her mind. So remember, this is like right before the wedding. Daisy confines in Jordan, even though she's really drunk that she has changed her mind on marrying Tom. Okay. She began to cry. She cried and cried. I rushed out and found her mother's maid and we locked the door and got her into a cold bath. She wouldn't let go of the letter. So she's holding this letter. She took it into the tub with her and squeezed it up into a wet ball and only let me have it in the soap dish when she saw it was coming to pieces like snow. So there's something about she got a letter right before her wedding, and that letter caused her to drink a lot of alcohol and say that Daisy's changed her mind. But she didn't say another word. We gave her spirits of ammonia, put, her ice, on, put ice on her forehead, and hooked her back into her dress. And half an hour later, when we walked out of the room, the pearls were around her neck, and the incident was over. Next day at 5 o'clock, she married Tom Buchanan without so much as, as a shiver. 
and started off on a three-month trip to the South Seas. So she has this moment right before her wedding where she says, I can't do it. I don't want to do it. Tell him I'm, I'm not going to do it. And all because of this letter that we never get to see. And then the next day she gets married. Then Jordan goes on to tell us, I saw them in Santa Barbara when they came back and I thought I'd never seen a girl so mad about her husband. Got to keep reading. If he left the room for a minute, she'd look around uneasily and say, Where Tom, where's Tom gone? And wear the most abstracted ex expression until she saw him coming in the door. She used to sit on the sand with his head on her lap by the hour, rubbing her fingers over his eyes and looking at him with unfathomable delight. It was touching to see them together. It made you laugh in a hushed, fascinated way. That was in August. A week after I left Santa Barbara, Tom ran into a wagon on the Ventura Road one night and ripped a front wheel off his car. The girl who was with him got into the papers because her arm was broken. She was one of the chambermaids in the Santa Barbara Hotel. Wow, people. So what did we just learn? Well, we just learned that Daisy... They go on their honeymoon. They come back. They're like madly in love with each other. So it appears. But Tom is cheating on her, you know, a couple weeks after they've been married with one of the hotel maids from the hotel they're staying in. He is a dirty dog, y'all. Okay. So um, let me keep reading just a little bit. The next April, Daisy and her little girl, um, Daisy had her little girl and they went to France for a year. I saw them one spring in Canes and later in Duville, and they came back to Chicago and to settle down. Daisy was popular in Chicago, as you know. They moved with a fast crowd, all of them young and rich and wild. But she came out with an absolutely perfect reputation, perhaps because she didn't drink. It's a great advantage not to drink among hard-drinking people. You can hold your tongue, and moreover, you can time any little irregularity of your own so that everybody else is so blind they don't see or care. Perhaps Daisy never went in for amour at all. And yet there's something in that voice of hers. Well, about six weeks ago. So now Jordan is saying, okay, like at the beginning of the summer of 1922, she heard the name Gatsby for the first time in years. It was when I asked you about it. Do you remember if you knew Gatsby in West Egg? After you had gone home, she came into my room and woke me up and said, what Gatsby? When I described him, I was half asleep. She said in the strangest voice that it must be the same man she used to know. It wasn't until then that I connected that this Gatsby was the officer in her white car. Okay, that's the end of Jordan telling the story. Now the narration is going to switch back to Nick. When Jordan Baker had finished telling all of this, we had left the Plaza Hotel for an hour and were driving in a, in a Victoria through Central Park. The sun had gone down behind the tall apartments of the movie stars in, West, in the West 50s. And the clear voices of little girls already gathered like crickets on the grass rose through the hot twilight. Okay. Then she says, this is hugely important. Gatsby bought that house so that Daisy would be just across the bay. It's all coming together, people. Remember in the beginning of chapter one, or sorry, excuse me, at the end of chapter one, Gatsby's looking at the green light. Then it had not been merely the stars to which he had aspired on that June night came alive to me, delivered suddenly from the womb of his purposeless splendor. That's a great line. And what it means is like the, you know, he came alive to Nick in that moment from the womb of the purposeless splendor. The purposeless splendor is like the huge parties, the pool, the booze, the everything. Like now he has a reason for all of it. He wants to know, continued Jordan, if you'll invite Daisy to your house some afternoon and then let him come over. 
So now finally we know why Nick has been drawn into this is because Nick lives next door to Gatsby and Gatsby wants Nick and Jordan, but specifically Nick in this case, to host the reunion between Gatsby and Daisy. Hmm. Nick says, the modesty of the demand shook me. He had waited five years and bought a mansion where he had where he dispensed starlight to casual moss so that he could come over some afternoon to a stranger's garden. Nick's kind of like, what's going on? Okay. Did I have to know all this before he could ask such a little thing? He's afraid. This is Jordan talking. He's waited so long. He thought you might be offended. So he's a regular tough underneath it all. Something worried me. Why didn't he ask you to arrange a meeting? He wants her to see his house and you're right next door. Oh, I think he half expected her to wander into one of his parties some night, went on Jordan, but she never did. Then he began asking people casually if they knew her, and I was the first one he found. It was that night he sent me, sent for me at his dance, and you should have heard the elaborate way he worked up to it. Of course, I immediately suggested a luncheon in New York, and I thought he'd go mad. I don't want to do anything out of the way, he kept saying. I want to see her right next door. When I said you were a per particular friend of Tom's, he started to abandon the whole idea. He doesn't know very much about Tom, though he says he's read the Chicago paper for years just on the chance of catching a glimpse of Daisy's name. Okay. So, obviously Gatsby does not want to get Tom involved because he's trying to reunite with the guy's wife. Um, and we do have this, you know, Nick is now involved. And remember, Nick is like the keeper of secrets, right? So he knows about Tom's mistress. It's not really like a super secret, but he knows. Excuse me. And now he's getting roped into this whole thing. Oh, my God. Okay. At the end of this chapter, um, there's this little moment where Nick is suddenly like, ugh, I don't want to think about Gatsby anymore. And he starts to think about Jordan. Um, and then out of nowhere, Jordan says, and Daisy ought to have something in her life, murmured Jordan to me. Now, this is like where our big theme comes up, right? Which is the role of women in the 1920s. Like you as the reader, you should ask yourself this. Like, how do you feel about this? I mean, Fitzgerald has created her actual husband to be such a big jerk that many people feel like, yeah, Daisy, go for it. Um, and others don't feel that way. Um... And then Nick says, does she want to see Gatsby? And then Jordan says, she's not supposed to know about it. Gatsby doesn't want her to know. You're just supposed to invite her to tea. Um, and then Nick doesn't mention this anymore. He, they talk about how he goes to kiss Jordan in the last part of the chapter. So now we have built up this really cool reunion. And that's going to be our next big scene. That's the end of chapter four. Um, if you guys have questions, my office hours are from two to three on Thursday. Please, please, please stop by office hours, send me an email or send me a, um, a message on social media. I hope that discussion helped. I love you all very much.